You're listening to the Catch-21 podcast. This was a recording taken from the Wilson Rooms of Portcullis House on the 6th of June 2006. For further information, please see www.catch21.co.uk. My name is Michael Howard and you're listening to the Politics Podcast. Thank you very much, Gary. Thank you. Uh, well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the show. Um, well, we're joined here today, as you probably guessed, by the former leader of the Conservative Party. Would you like to put your hands together just to welcome Mr. Howard? <laughs> okay, and uh, as Fiona explained, we'll, what we'll basically essentially do is uh, conduct a kind of mini interview in between the next uh, now, next half an hour or so, and then we'll go to you, the audience, to pose any questions you like. If we'll take you in groups of two or three, um, but first of all, let's we'll, we'll get straight into it. Um, Avril, you have our first question for Mr Howard. Okay, fairly easy one to start off with. What made you get into politics? Yes. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to try and change things for the better. I think that is what makes most people go into politics. Obviously, we differ quite sharply from each other on the best way to change things and make things better, but most people go into politics. I hope everyone really goes into politics at whatever level in order to make things better for their community. If you, if you stand for the council, you want to make your local community better. If you stand for parliament, you want to make the country better, and perhaps even in a modest way, the world. Was there any specific moment, though, where you just felt that politics is for me? I mean, I understand you went to Cambridge University, and you grew up in Wales. Yes. Um, was there any, I mean, any point during that time, was there any, any moment you just thought, politics is for me? Was it something gradual kind of thing that you just thought? I I was interested in politics when I was in school. I went to a grammar school in South Wales, and I got interested in politics when I was there. Um, But I didn't really become at all involved until I was at university, and then I did get involved. And I started speaking at the Cambridge Union, and ended up being its president. And so. It was only really at that stage that I thought, mm, well, maybe I could do it after all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, also, I mean, do, you, do you find that when you, when, you, when, you, when you got into politics in the first place, did you find it quite easy to actually uh, go into I mean, was it, did you, I assume you signed up to the Conservative Party at some point, and then was it relatively easy access, and was it, was it quite an easy thing to do? Um, well, it was easy to join the Conservative Party and, and, and to get involved. Um, it, was, it was hard to become a Conservative Member of Parliament and it took me a long time to um, find a constituency which I could win. I fought two elections in a safe Labour seat in Liverpool which I didn't really have much chance of winning but I enjoyed it very much and then there was a long gap before I was selected at Folkestone and High. Is at any point you sort of think, oh I've had I can't do anything more. I, I thought yeah. too much. There was never a point when I thought I'd had enough, but there were many points when I thought I wasn't going to make it. And I was, at the same time, I was working with a barrister, and I was, I was more or less reconciled, really, to staying as a barrister, um, perhaps even becoming a judge. I don't know. Um, but you did but this is all what I wanted. To, this was always what I really wanted to do. Okay, brilliant. Um, okay, and what would you say to someone who, just on a different note, what would you say to someone who didn't want to vote because they didn't feel that they had enough knowledge on, on politics and they didn't want to necessarily make that decision? That, that's the problem a lot, of time, a lot of the time, isn't it? People don't want to vote because they think, I don't know what to vote for, I don't know what to vote about, they don't, they're not informed. 
What would you say to that? Do you know, I'm not sure, I know a lot of people say that, I'm not sure that that is the real reason, I may be getting into difficulty. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to pass an exam in order to vote. Mm-hmm. I think the, the reason why so many people don't vote, and it's our fault that they don't, it's the politicians' fault that they don't, is that they don't think that what we are about is relevant to their lives. And it's our job to try and explain why what we're about is relevant to everybody's lives. So if you... People are interested in their own community. They are interested in the schools they go to or their kids go to. They're interested in the state of the hospitals in their community. They're interested in whether there's too much crime and what can be done about it. People are interested in all those things, but they often don't make the connection between those things and what people like me talk about. And the truth is that that what we want to do is to make those things better, but we haven't sufficiently clearly explained to people how we can make a difference. And that's our fault, and that's what um, I think Terry Cameron's doing much better than I do. Um, leading on from that, um, I mean, do you feel that? I mean, I, I know you've, you've, you've given evidence before to the Power Inquiry, who actually the Joseph Brown, who also fund our project. Um, but I know you made a, made a point about the, the idea of the media and the, the fact that there is there is a difference between uh, the political parties; so they're not conveyed uh, as clearly, perhaps, in the media. I mean, do, do you think as well? Is it more useful for? political party and, and, and MPs like yourself, politicians like yourself, to actually, you know, come up with a sound bites an effective way, do you think? Or do you think sound bites actually or how how is an effective way of using the media to convey your, your message essentially? Well, if you've only got twenty seconds on the news, mm. you've got to try and create a sound bite. Mm. Um, because that that's all you've got. And you've got to try and use it to create the maximum impact. Sound bites distort. Sound bites don't always give an accurate impression of what you're really on about. But you have to operate within the constraints which are set for you by the media, and um, that's something that it's quite difficult to, to, to do with. Do you feel that the media actually play a large role in perhaps confusing issues or not necessarily giving the right detail? I mean, if you, if you pick up a newspaper, like something like the Telegraph or something like that. Um, uh, with Guardian, you'd often, I don't know about you, but... I, mean, I fall into the trap of believing everything I read. Yeah. I'm awful like that. I, I read something, I go, oh my god, that's awful. Read another, paper, read another newspaper, and then I think, oh, that's awful as well. So, I should imagine a lot of people in the same situation, but... Do you ever read two newspapers that say completely opposite things about, about the same subject? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I I just swap to a magazine or something, but I think that's because that people can get quite off-put by that kind of thing, I think. Look, a, a, a famous... Conservative politician once said, a politician who complains about the media is like a fish who complains about the city. Because <laughs> that's the world we live in. Yeah. And we have to yeah. deal with the media. There's no use of blaming the media. It's our challenge to get our message across through the media and, if possible, whenever the opportunity arises, directly to people and not through the prism of the media, as effectively as we can. That's, that's what we're there to do. And 
were obviously not doing it well enough. And I guess there's other devices such as podcasts and, uh, and bloggers, bloggers spots online as well that help to increase and you know, make more, the views of politicians more kind of simple, more straightforward because of the, you know, the, the cobweb of media. Are you all for obviously politicians using those types of devices and you know, yeah. kind of modern technology? So Got to try and use every means you can. Did you think young people should just get in there? Just think what they want and relate it, try and relate it to politics in some way. Yeah. Try and, and all of you will be interested in some things more than interested in others. And try and find out what the parties are saying about the things you're interested in. And, and hopefully we will do a better job than perhaps we have done in the past about making what we do relevant to your concerns. Okay. Right, so our next question is what would you do to engage young people more with politics? Well, what I've been saying, really, I, I, I hope I've sort of answered that, which is to, to make the things that we talk about, the policies that we have, the plans that we have, relevant to the things that matter to young people. And if we can do that effectively, we will be able to interest them more in politics and elections and political life. Now, are you in favour of perhaps creating more kind of forums and encouraging MPs to have perhaps have, I mean obviously MPs provide constituency sessions in their, in their constituencies, usually yeah. on a Friday afternoon, but do you, do, you, do you feel that more can be done in terms of perhaps the media working alongside politicians? That can sometimes still be a bit stuffy, can't it? Let's face it. Yeah. You might not always want to go along with a, a bunch of people that have been involved in politics forever and have their opinions, even if it's about the garden fence next door or something. You know, there may be well, hang on. I mean, I, I held my surgery to regular in my position, so I actually have it on Saturday mornings as opposed to Friday afternoon. <laughs> right. I'm not suggesting that you don't. But you don't. But, when you, but anybody can come along. And you don't come along with other people. It's one to one. So anybody who wants, any one of my constituents who wants to, who has, first of all, has a problem which they think I can help with, which sometimes I can. Not every time, but sometimes I can or who wants to just have a rant, sign it off about something um, and say, you know, this is terrible and why don't you do something about that and so on. Or even just occasionally to say nice things about politics and politicians. They can just walk in off the street um, and, and see me in my constituency alone um, and say whatever they want to say. So you you, 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 can be, you act as a kind of soundboard in some ways. Yeah. Some, some mm. and it's a great, and it's a, it's a terrific thing, I think, which we don't sufficiently appreciate, because I won't say it doesn't happen in any other country, because there are some countries which have similar systems to ours where it sort of happens. Australia, I think, is one example. But it happens in very few countries. And often, when you talk to people, even from you know, countries which have quite sort of vibrant democracies, like I remember once being visited by an American presidential candidate when I was in the cabinet. And he said to me, what, what, do you, you know, what have you got planned for your weekend? And I explained to him that one of the things I would be doing at the weekend was hoping these surgeries. And he couldn't believe it. He said, but you're a member of the cabinet. And I said, you're a lawyer, it's a thing. You know, everybody does it in this country. And he just was he just no part of their system. And I think it's a very important part of our system that we don't appreciate it enough. So do you think, just having said that, obviously some of your weekends are taken up with... Well, a lot of it. Well, a lot of it, obviously. Yeah. But do you sometimes think that politicians get a bit of a 
a rough ride. People should sort of leave them alone. I'm sure you they have got a really, a really big job to do here, so let's give them a break. Well, of course I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't be human if I didn't think that. But on the other hand, we all, all politicians go into it with their eyes open. Right? We all know what lies in store. And so, I, and we're all volunteers. None of us is, a, is, is sort of compelled. We're not sort of um, conscripted into politics. We all choose to go into it. And so, I'm not sure we're entitled for that much sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> um, on, on the different note, I mean, just in terms of the, the politician's life, um, you, you often get the impression that, well, I, I do, you know, reading the papers that you're followed. I mean, we're going about, you know, kind of big brother state we're in at the moment, but we're kind of followed, you're kind of followed 24 hours a day in some respects at some politicians, especially high profile ones like uh, David Cameron and you know, cabinet ministers. Is that, is that, do you not feel, hang on, is this going a bit beyond, is, it, is that due to technology, or do you, do you feel that, is that going a bit, is, you're not so happy doing, you know, being monitored 24 hours a day, or do you feel that's the. Well, the intrusion thing is difficult. Um, but it's, um, you know, I can't, I can't think um, of any easy way of, of drawing up rules that would prevent, without getting in the way of proper public scrutiny of what politicians do. So it's probably something we just put it up with. It certainly sounds like uh, they work, MPs just only work very hard, um, especially in constituencies on a Saturday morning as well. <laughs> um, no, well, it's, um, yeah, it's convenient for my constituents. It's easier for them to come and see me on Saturday morning because they're not working. Anyone um, can come along with the course, I mean, even if it's the whole constituency. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, I never have any idea unless people tell me and I never ask them, you know, how they voted. I'm there to serve all my constituents, however they voted. Um, and that's true of every member of parliament. It's very, very important. Can you separate being a politician from being a voter? Do you ever see it from from the other side? Do you ever see what we see? That's a hard question. I'm not sure that I know the answer to it. I mean, I. Obviously, when I vote, I, um, in say local elections, I vote for the Conservative candidates. Um, I'm not sure that I can easily separate myself. I think it would be quite tough. I don't think I can. Okay. <laughs> well, as you know, Mr. Howard, you were um, you were leader of the Conservative Party, and I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more. I mean, if you were if you were still in that position right now, mm-hmm. what, what things would you do? I mean, what would be your priorities right now to try and change the way countries run for the better? I mean, what, what would be, your, what be your, your ideas? Well, I think um, I'd like to be doing what David Cameron's doing, because I think he's doing an excellent job, and I'd probably support everything that he's doing. I think that... Um, I think there's a... There's a terrible feeling in the country at the moment that because the present government is obviously in difficulties and has got itself into a mess, I think I can safely <laughs> say that without being too partisan. I think there's a feeling that it's bound to be like that 
that all governments are going to be like that and that nothing can be done to change things and I passionately believe that it is possible to have competent government that responds to people's priorities and tries to make things better in a way in which people would like to see happen and, and one of our main objectives should be and I think it is part of what David Cameron is doing is to convince people to try and convince people that governments can be competent, can make a difference, can deliver on the people's priorities. And do you think that's especially important to involve young people so that they start voting on things that they want to? I mean, David Cameron's a, a younger man, isn't he, than, than possibly maybe what we used to. So do you think that sort of gives a bit of inspiration to people to think young I hope so. Things? Yeah, I hope so. What's, what single issues, though, what single issues from your perspective are, are relevant to young people? I mean, what, what, what do you think is, it, I mean, I guess, for example, the environment, what, what's overall? What's well, the environment is, is a good example, and David's talking a lot about that, and, and quite rightly. But, do you know, I, I you may disagree with it, I don't know, maybe we'll have a bit of an argument about it afterwards. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure that the things which really matter to young people are so very different from the things which matter to the rest of the community. Take schools. Okay, young people go to school, so obviously they or, or have recently been to school, depending on how you define young. So they have first-hand experience of school and they're interested in whether they've had a good education, how it can be made better and so on. So are their parents who are no longer young. So are their grandparents. You know, grandparents want their grandchildren to have a good education. Take hospitals and, and the health service. Young people, okay, may use the health service, may use the health service less often than their parents or their grandparents. But they, they young people, they live in a world of their own. They live in families. And they care about how their parents are being treated if they have to go to hospital, or how their grandparents are being treated. So I think that young people are interested in and care about many of the things which the rest of the community are interested in and care about. And I'm not, I'm always a little bit careful about putting people into separate boxes. I'm saying, you know, young people belong in that box and, and other people belong in this box and different people belong in this box. We are all members of a national community. We all have a lot of things in common with some things which we differ on, but there are many, many things which we have in common and we ought to perhaps emphasise those a bit more and talk about and deal with the things which matter to everyone. I suppose the worry is, though, isn't it, that what with the, the media and um, people somewhat, you know, there's probably going to be a, a spin on a lot of things. People, young people especially will think, well, what's the point in voting because the government aren't going to do what we want. So by trying to engage in certain things like, for example, pensions, if you look at, into the pension mm. situation now, that's going to affect you when you have to retire. So we have to, we have to start somewhere, don't we? Yeah, I, I, it's hard to interest young people in pensions. I, I, I grant you that. Uh, although I once, long, long ago, when I was a student at Cambridge, the pensions, I think he, he must have been, he was either the pensions minister or the pensions spokesman. 
he was, he was a well-known Labour politician called Dick Crossley, Richard Crossley. And he made a speech to an audience of students about pensions, which was riveting, and got everyone absolutely listening to every word. So if you're gifted enough, I don't pretend that I could make a speech about pensions that would be limited <laughs> to an audience of students. But he could. So even pensions, which I agree is, is quite tricky, can be made interesting to young people. And of course it matters. We don't have, if we don't have a decent pension system, young people are going to end up having to support their parents. And, and by voting, it's, it's, I mean, the idea is, if, if, if you, of course, if you vote, you can have your say on, you know, what, what, what will happen to young people, what will be... Then if you don't vote, you can't complain. Well, that's that's no, no, you're right. That's not what I'm saying. I think yeah. you're right. You have the right to, yeah. but that's my opinion. But, but to be fair, I mean, I mean if, you, if you set the context back to, say, 20 years, I mean, we, we, quite clearly there is, I mean, like I said, we, we talked about the media earlier and the ways in which things are communicated. But the context of 20 years ago, say, when it's quite a straight-on debate of, of should the state control more or should the state control less, there is no... And like, we like to say that perhaps some people like to say we live in a world of single, single issues right now as opposed to um, ideologies or just, you know, the state ownership or state not. Um, and, you know, where do you... I mean, do you feel that there is that there's no obvious decision now and we are living in a world of single issues and that is how political parties need to actually convey the message by making a you know, views very direct on the issue by ID cards for example something like that. Well, what, do you, what do you say about this? Well I, you're right um, things are different from what they were 20 years ago. I became a member of parliament 23 years ago 1983 and then the, there were really big divides between Labour and the Conservatives um, the Conservatives believed that we shouldn't have nationalised industries. Labour believed that there should be, lots of things should be in public ownership. Labour believed in high taxes and made no bones about it. Um, and the Conservatives didn't. Labour believed at that stage in giving up our nuclear weapons on our own, unilaterally, even if everybody else kept them. And, and the Conservatives didn't believe in that. So there were really big divides between the parties 23 years ago, and there aren't quite the same big divides today. I would argue, and I'm going to be a little bit partisan here, because the Conservatives won all those big arguments. I mean, the Labour Party doesn't today suggest that we should give up our nuclear weapons, doesn't suggest that um, everything should be in public ownership, and pretends not to believe in high taxation, although taxation has gone a lot higher. So all those big arguments have been won, and now the arguments are different, and they are not quite so obvious, and they are a bit more subtle. I think there still are big distinctions between the parties, as I think we see when we get to the next election and we see the different policies that are put forward. It's particularly difficult to identify those issues at this stage in the Parliament, quite early in the Parliament, when we're probably at least three years away from the next election, I don't know. Um, and when you're three years away from an election, you don't often put your policies in the shop window. Okay, so just let me ask you one thing from there. You've, you've been in, in Parliament for, for 23 years, is that, that, that's quite a while. Have you seen, you've seen a change, and do you think that it's 
gone from sort of bad to worse, or do you think it's got better, or do you think that it sort of swings around about and it's all kind of it'll all kind of come around in the end? It's it's quite difficult to. I mean, I'm afraid it's a terrible thing, isn't it? but most people. Um, of my kind of age who've been in Parliament for the kind of time that I have say, oh, things are not as good as they were. <laughs> and in some respects I think that's true, in other respects I think things have probably got better. Okay, okay well we were just coming to the end now, but one last question left, it's slightly um, different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we'd just like to ask you, just in today's world, do you think that Big Brother is the future, Michael Howe? <laughs> Answer that in whatever, yeah, however you take however it. You, however you take it, yeah. I mean, it's probably part of the future, but I hope it's not the whole future. <laughs> Any favourites? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, okay. Thank you for listening to the Catch 21 podcast. For more information about this and future tour dates, please visit www.catch21.co.uk.